Hi, everyone. Have you ever noticed one of the first stories in the Bible is about a marriage? And, you know, the Bible ends with a marriage as well. Most people know the story from Genesis, the only two members of creation that were created together in the image of God are joined together in marriage. That's Adam and Eve. Now, you may not realize the Bible closes with another marriage, and that's the marriage of heaven and earth that we read about in Revelation. Genesis teaches us that God created the heavens and the earth together at the same time. And that tells us God is bigger than the heavens and the earth. But it also tells us that they were created to work together. And we talked about that last week. Revelation teaches that those two realms that God created to work together were created to eventually become one. That's where we will be with God for eternity. A new resurrected creation with resurrected bodies as heaven and earth merge and are married together. Paul says that was God's plan from the start. Now, one of the biggest things I want us to get out of this message, or these messages in this series, is an understanding of where our ultimate hope is really located. Now, what do I mean? Well, Plato taught that our ultimate hope is going to be found away from the earth. And a lot of Christians have adopted this in the last 150 years. They believe we're going to end up escaping this earth, that we're going to leave this creation behind. But Jesus taught there's ultimately going to be a marriage of heaven and earth. Now, where you locate our ultimate hope, either as an escape from this earth or as a renewal of this earth, it makes a tremendous difference in how you live your life before death. You know, Jesus spent way more time talking about life before death than he did describing life after death. Throughout the Bible, what we do before death is really important. How we treat others, it matters. How we treat God's creation matters. What we do will not be forgotten. Life before death matters, all of it, every bit. Every minute of our lives matter, not just the last couple minutes. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Does what happened here really matter if we believe this existence is just going to be thrown away and the Christians are going to be snatched up and we're going to fly off to heaven? Our ethics, how we treat other people, how we spend our resources, like where we put our time and where we spend our money. I mean, these things, how do they change if we believe what the Bible teaches about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and earth becoming merged and married together? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus painted a picture of what life is in the kingdom of heaven is life. And he taught us to pray that it would become on earth as it is in heaven. There is a kingdom of heaven. It is very real. And in that kingdom, Jesus is king. When we choose to live as a disciple of Jesus, we're choosing to live under King Jesus' rule on this side of eternity. And I want us to think of that as a change in our citizenship. We become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven under the rule of King Jesus. This is possible today. Through his life, through his teachings, his death, and, and most importantly, his resurrection, Jesus began something. 
He brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. He made it available here. And then he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And see, as we live our citizen, as citizens of King Jesus, with the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, we live out this rule and his teachings and, and things on earth become more and more on earth as it is in heaven. But we need to be very clear, it's not finished. The kingdom is not fully established. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he left a group of people to live under his rule and to grow his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and that's the church. The church is to be a signpost for the future, a people who are visibly living under the rule of King Jesus and, and growing the kingdom through their actions. So it becomes on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he taught us to pray, but we're not there yet. There will be a day when it's fully established, when all of creation, both heaven and earth, come together and we will all be under King Jesus' rule. But the Bible teaches this will happen when Jesus comes again to establish his kingdom in full. The Bible teaches this is the time when we will all be judged, when Jesus comes again. What do you think about the second coming? Well, in a nutshell, the second coming means Jesus will come back to finish the job he started. The first time he came, Jesus began the work of the kingdom of heaven. The second time he comes, he's going to fully establish that kingdom. Listen to the words from 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed, but we don't, do know when he is revealed, we will be like him. For we'll see him as he is. That's our hope. That's our promise. We're God's children. What we will be has not yet been revealed. However, John says, we will be like him. The one who was resurrected will be like. John's saying, Jesus is coming back. John doesn't say he's coming back to take us away. John says he's coming back and we'll be like him. The beginning of Acts teaches that after Jesus' resurrection, he was with his disciples for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he promised he'd come back. And then he said they would receive the Holy Spirit. And, and that was the birth of the church. What do you think he did during those 40 days? I think it was 40 days of explanation. I think it was 40 days of teaching. I think it was 40 days of connecting the dots. And I think it was 40 days of celebrating. Jesus spent a great deal of time teaching about the kingdom. And when he ascended, he gave his spirit to help his followers live the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Until the time when he would come back to finally bring heaven and earth together. And then he ascended in the clouds. You know, in Mark 13, Jesus talked about the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Mark wrote, They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he'll send out the angels and they'll gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And that was a vision of what was called the day of the Lord. 
when he would come on clouds and gather his people. And it says from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, meaning those who have finished this life and are now with God, we would be reunited. And he said he would do this as the son of man. That goes back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And in Daniel chapter 7, he describes a vision of the Son of Man coming on the clouds from heaven and gathering his people together. And that was a time that they were experiencing a lot of suffering and a lot of persecution. Daniel didn't say that the Son of Man will gather his people together and take them away. But Daniel did say the Son of Man would gather his people together. Well, what for? Well, in his vision, Daniel says, As I watched in the night vision, I saw one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, and all the peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. He's describing the time when the kingdom that Jesus began will be complete. The time when all people, all nations, all languages, he says, they all serve him as king for all eternity. So when Jesus descends into heaven... After spending 40 days with his disciples in Acts 1, they, they just stare up in the sky at him. And then we're told in Acts 1.11, these two men in white robes appear and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, the second coming means Jesus is going to come again. And I want us to understand, this is our hope. The Bible says he'll be riding on the clouds, just like the Son of Man in this scene from the book of Daniel. And then he'll establish his kingdom forever. doesn't say he's going to take us away, but he's going to establish his kingdom over all creation. Paul talks about this so much, like Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. And it's from there that we're expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, he'll transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And it's from there that we're expecting a Savior. That's Jesus. See, a lot of Christians would expect Paul to say, and then he's going to take us up to heaven. But that's not what Paul says at all. Paul says he's going to transform our bodies to be conformed to his body. That means we're going to experience the same thing Jesus did. We'll receive a new body. He'll transform the body of our humiliation, and he'll conform it to the body of his glory. That's the point of the second coming. Jesus is coming back, not to take us away. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says Jesus is coming and he's going to finish the work he began through the resurrection here on the earth. Now, how is he going to do that? By setting things right, meaning judgment, the final judgment. You know, judgment is a huge part of the big picture of our hope. And I just think we miss the point of judgment. 
Again, listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in this body, whether good or bad. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The judgment is a huge part of our hope. It's when Christ comes to sort out creation. And he's going to deal with the injustice. And he's going to deal with the evil once and for all. He'll deal with those who have caused creation and other members of creation harm. And he's going to vindicate those who have suffered. He'll make things right so that all creation reflects the glory of King Jesus. See, we think of the judgment as a bad thing and a scary thing. And and I want us to rethink this. If we've been living as disciples, the judgment should be a very joyful thing. For those who have been praying that it become on earth as it is in heaven, for those who have been living under King Jesus' rule, the judgment That's what we're praying for. It's a very good thing. I mean, Psalm 96 says the heavens will be glad and the earth will rejoice at the judgment. The Lord is coming to judge the earth with righteousness and with truth. That's what we're waiting for. This is what we're supposed to be praying for. That's our ultimate hope. So why are we afraid of judgment? Because only the guilty fear judgment. We talked about this a couple weeks back at the beginning of the series. You know, the Bible is so clear. The one who will judge us, he's the one who gave his life for us. I mean, Jesus died for each one of us, and he's going to be our judge. You could not ask for a better advocate to be on your side. I shared this story at the beginning, but it's really worth coming back to a couple weeks ago. You know, I remember as a kid, Growing up in Walla Walla in fourth grade, I remember being taken to the principal's office. And I was afraid of what was going to happen on the other side of that door because I was so guilty and I knew it. I mean, there were three of us fourth graders at Prospect Point Elementary School, and we started this massive, glorious snowball fight with basically the entire fifth grade. We just attacked them. And I was completely guilty, and I knew it. And as I sat outside that principal's office, I was afraid of the judgment that would happen on the other side of the door. Because I was completely guilty. But I remember another time, and this was in college, and I, I walked into a class, and I was looking forward to getting a midterm essay back. It was a writing class. Every day, first thing, we, we began with a short essay. And, and there was a stack of papers on the professor's desk, and, and they were our midterms. And I walked up and found my midterm right before sitting down to start my essay. And I remember grabbing my, my essay and opening it up to see what my grade was. And I looked, and it said that I received an F. And it said that I was guilty of plagiarism. And she was going to see that I was expelled from school. I knew that was not the case. And frankly, I knew I could prove it. And so I just went back to my seat, sat down, wrote out my short essay. And then I went right to her after class. And I told that professor I could prove I hadn't plagiarized that essay. And she said, you know, you don't even need to. She said, I could tell that you were innocent by the way you responded to what I had written 
for you. Here's the deal. Judgment is scary for the guilty. But for the innocent, for those who are living as citizens of God's kingdom, those who are praying that it become on earth as is heaven, those who are working for the kingdom as Jesus taught, judgment is a time when the injustices will finally be addressed. Judgment is a time when the wrongs will be made right. The final judgment, this should be what we're living for. It's the time that we've been longing for that those who hunger will hunger no more. It's the time when the poor will no longer be oppressed. It's the time when the those who are suffering will suffer no more. When victims of injustice, of imbalances of power, those who live every moment of their lives in fear and in terror, they will be granted justice. And those who feed on the weakness of others, those who oppress others, those who have made others suffer, they'll be dealt with. And those who have lived as citizens of the kingdom under the rule of King Jesus, we will celebrate. For now, there are going to be times when it seems evil has won the day. There's going to be times when it seems like darkness is surrounding us and there is no hope in sight. There's going to be times when it seems like everything is lost. But the final judgment teaches us, even in the darkest, bleakest moments, it's not over. There will be a day when all of the wrongs are made right, a day when justice wins. The final judgment should be a very good thing. It's good news of great joy for the citizens of the kingdom. The issues of injustice and imbalances and oppression and abuses of power, they will be over. The injustices that we have been fighting for, the things we've been fighting against, I mean, the hungry and the thirsty and those who are sick and those who have been taken advantage of, the, the least of the least, the strangers in the strange lands, those who suffer will suffer no more. On that day, God's kingdom will not just be a reality for his citizens who are doing what they can in their daily lives to change those things right now. On that day, God will be king of all creation. And a new day will dawn. And a time of justice and righteousness for everyone will occur. This will be a new creation. And this is very good news. Today, the desire of God's heart, and it should be the desire of our hearts as well. The judgment should be something we're looking forward to with expectation. On the night that Jesus was born, they proclaimed, I bring you good news of great joy. This is what they were describing. And this is still our hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for resurrection. I thank you for your amazing, amazing power to bring life from the dead. We look forward to a resurrection, forward to a day of hope that will last eternal with you. Help us to make it a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven, in this interim, as the Holy Spirit works through us. But Lord, help us to never, ever, ever, ever lose sight of our real hope.
the day your Son returns, in whose name we pray. Amen.